the Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Wes Goldberg, host of Locked On Warriors, here with David Ramil, the host of Locked On Heat. Today's episode of Locked On NBA is brought to you by Built Bar, the best-tasting low-carb protein bar. The promo code Locked On gets you $10 off of your first box at www.builtbar.com. David, we are here talking about the only sporting event that is happening, The Last Dance. We got two more episodes Sunday night. And a lot of people are, you know, I think this episode, these two episodes, um, it was interesting that they put them together because both of them basically featured Michael Jordan's blemishes. And the first few episodes really established Michael Jordan as far as his legend status goes, as far as the Be Like Mike thing, um, you know, just how much of a character he is. And to me, I was feeling like this whole time, it does feel like Michael Jordan did approve every single frame of this because everything about Michael Jordan was so, you know, positive. And then this, and then these two episodes happen on Sunday. And it spans all of his blemishes from the just being ridiculously mean to Tony Kukoc for really no good reason to the gambling stuff to his apolitical views while he was playing um, – and it did give him a chance to sort of address those things, though I don't know that he was overwhelming in in kind of um, addressing those things. I didn't really totally buy that, but we'll get to that later. But what I thought was interesting is that before all of that stuff, the first thing we see on Sunday night is basically an interview with Kobe Bryant, who credits Michael Jordan for the five championships that he got, and he says... I don't get five championships here without him. And he talks about, you know, the guidance and the advice that Michael Jordan gave him, softening Michael Jordan before this just onslaught of, you know, sort of the underbelly that is my, of Michael Jordan. Yeah. And then kind of juxtaposed with Michael talking shit about Kobe Bryant in the locker room of the 1998 All-Star game, uh, as he's referring to him as that Lakers boy who doesn't let the game come to him and just takes whatever shot he wants and everything else. I think we've always known that Kobe has emulated everything about Michael, not just his on-court presence as far as his turnaround jumper and a lot of the same moves that Michael displayed on the court, but also his off-the-court demeanor to the point of the, exhibiting that same kind of ruthlessness that we have you know, been attributing to Michael over the course of the last couple episodes that we've been talking about the documentary. And I think we started to see that ruthlessness much more in detail on last night's episodes. And, uh, and it's interesting that Kobe attributes them and says to, to, you know, to the interviewer that he is responsible for provide for getting him to this point. And, and, you know, Kobe has legendarily, you know, it, it kind of, it, it's you know tough to speak about it now because you don't want to speak ill of the dead, but for the past several years, the reality is that he's been, blasted by a lot of NBA fans for his demeanor, for the way he's treated lesser teammates and undercutting people and things of that sort. And, mm-hmm. you know, we don't have that footage. We have some grainy footage on a cell phone of him yelling at Jeremy Lin and other players on the roster and things of that sort. But, you know, it kind of compares to what we're seeing from Michael Jordan now, where he kind of, you know, yells at Scott Burrell or punches Will Perdue, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, it, it is, it was an interesting thing to kind of have it play out. And I, I guess, these two episodes kind of represent a lot more of a darker time as far as Michael. And then interesting, at least for me on a personal level, this is really where I started to kind of 
gain interest in basketball. Like this is the version of the NBA and Michael that I'm most familiar with. The earlier years where he was criticized for being a one-dimensional scorer and things of that sort, that never, I never really started watching the game at that point. But now the dream team was really what cemented my love of basketball. And then to, to you know, the finals, the 93 finals with Charles Barkley, which was highlighted in last night's episode, those were also, like that was the first finals game that I ever watched. So that was, uh, mm. this is the version of Michael that I'm most familiar with. We're already, we're seeing that he is much more, less personable than he was in the first few episodes where he was kind of just like, you know, a young player kind of trying to carve his way out in the NBA and everything else like that. No, no, he's already got one championship out under his belt. He's hungry, ravenously so for a second championship. And then he, he of course was able to notch the, the three peat at that point. So there, the blemishes are much more obvious in the last couple episodes. And I thought they were kind of, honestly, I thought they were more interesting in a lot of ways. Yeah, this is like Jordan rules Jordan, right? And this is it was kind of and Brian Curtis wrote this once for the Ringer that this was that was like the the first Woj bomb was sort of Jordan rules where hey, let me take you deep inside the not just like the news but behind what the happened curtain, here. Yeah. yeah, yeah, behind the curtain, curtain, and and it really did, and it it and there's a lot of uh, back and forth between was it Horace Grant, was it Phil Jack, like who gave out all of his information, and it was interesting watching this. And them still not knowing. And they interview Horace Grant, and he's like, I didn't say anything to Sam Smith. And it's it to like nobody's gonna fess it. up about who oh no, I don't buy it either. I think they all I think they all talk to him. Right. Uh and we've 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 heard this recently, I think, and, and even at the time, uh, that Phil Jackson and a lot of the coaching staff used it as an opportunity to vent about Jerry Krause and some of the mm-hmm. players that maybe they wanted to ignite a, a fire under and things of that sort. So yeah, you're you're probably right that they've all at one point or another, talk to Sam and, and we're, you know, <laughs> less than uh, less than friendly about each other. And, and I think it's important because, I mean, that's it's interesting because, we you know, in the first few episodes, we, we kind of talked about how this exhibited a humanity to Jordan that we weren't familiar with. At least that's what I remembered anyway. And, and then last night's episode, we're kind of seeing the much more realistic version of him where there's that duality to him where he is, he can be personable. He can be friendly, can be charming, but he can also be vicious and he can also, you know, cut your throat just as easily as pat you on the back. So that was uh, an interesting version of him. What was interesting to me too, was that again, he had to approve all of these things and he allowed, you know, an entire two hours of this documentary basically be dedicated to, all, all the things that people thought wrong about him, right? And I wonder if adding the Kobe Bryant stuff in the beginning was sort of a way to get Michael to approve softening it, right? the blow. They ha- yeah, just being like, look, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna cast you in this light, and you're also gonna have, and we're gonna, get, we're gonna hit on these things because we have to, but we're gonna give you an opportunity at every single stop and every single step to defend yourself. And See, he must I, my, have seen my it. interpretation of that was that he's just he's unapologetic about the way he is. Like, I, I feel like at this point, being the success that he is, the accomplished player, like, I mean, he knows all the criticism about the Hall of Fame speech, about his career, about the way he, he is as a person. And all, I, I think he's OK with it. I don't think I don't think you can move forward with a documentary if not to acknowledge the fact that, yeah, I know I'm a dick. And so what? You're going to take it anyway, and you're going to appreciate it. In fact, if anything, that Kobe footage kind of highlights that. That it's like, yeah, I was killing Kobe in the locker room, you know, and he still, you know, you know, considers me the reason why he is as successful as he is. So you know what? You're going to have to take it. I don't give a goddamn about 
a spoonful of sugar, you're going to take the medicine because that's just the way it is. And and that's that might be Michael to a T. Like that, he's just he is unapologetic about who he is, and he knows it. And and at the same time, we're still watching it with bated breath. We're still mm -hmm. we still recognize him as the greatest player despite all the flaws. I want to talk about how he sort of defended those flaws or justified those things um, here. But first, I want to tell you guys about Built Bars. Built Bars is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. It comes in 16 amazing flavors. The bars are covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft. They're easy to choose. It's easy to chew and easy to choose But from other protein bars. Uh, and they taste great. Built Bar is great for a health-conscious man or woman. It helps you lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. The bars are low calorie, they are low sugar, they are high in protein, they are high in fiber. I had this morning the peanut butter brownie bar that has 20 grams of protein, 170 calories, three grams of sugar, and just three grams of net carbs. And David, I did, I, and you know this about me, I did the ketogenic thing for a couple of yeah. years. I'm still like loosely associated with keto. I, I kind of go in and out of it. I'm low carb, I'm keto, whatever. Either way, this is the perfect bar for that. And I've experimented with other uh, protein bars for like post-workout and stuff. And nothing tastes as good as this. And it doesn't have that like weird artificial kind of texture or flavor that you find in a lot of these other low-carb protein bars. I've really enjoyed these so far. And I highly recommend them to our listeners. Um, you can get them by going to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON. You'll get $10 off of your first order. And I think it's like... 37 bucks total. You get $10 off of that, which is just a great deal. Again, use the promo code locked on for $10 off at builtbar.com. We thank them for supporting us here on the Lockdown Podcast Network. We hope you support them too. So I want to go back to some of the stuff about what Michael Jordan said to defend himself. And what was interesting to me was the politics thing, like the gambling stuff, whatever. He talked about it in the moment, right? He talked about it in that interview with the sunglasses on. Um, that That is so – the gambling stuff needs so much context, right? Like where were we at that time? It was in the, it was in the pre precipice of the NBA finals. Um, you know, what, what, did, what does it matter? Because I'm, I'm curious because I – I didn't really care for that. Like of all the things that were highlighted that that was the least important to me, like in real time or like in the, in the documentary. At, at, yeah. Both like, like what's, what's the, who cares? Like, Oh, Michael Jordan gambles. Like what's the big deal? It's his money. He can blow it however he wants to. And if that's what his thing is, like, I mean, I don't see how, I don't see why it's interesting. And if anything, it's the it's sport, it's, it's the sports talk show host thing that they have to do. It's like, why, uh, who, who was it that, Wears his hat backwards and like Colin Coward just like ripped him apart and like he's well, okay. Oh, was, like, was it Ken? Kiffer? I think it was an NFL quarter or it was like Cam Newton. I don't remember who it was, but he basically was just like some guy wore his hat backwards and just ripped him apart. Maybe Tony Romo. Um, and and it was, it's just like a thing. It's like oh, you don't take this seriously enough, obviously. So if Michael Jordan is out gambling while his team is down 0-2 to the New York Knicks in the conference finals then obviously you're not taking this seriously enough because you apparently should be watching film in your hotel room or something that's just completely, you know, out of, like, it's just, it's just ridiculous. It is. So maybe that, maybe that's what it is. But I also, like, if you're a Bulls fan and you're like, okay, this guy's in the conference finals, he's down 0-2 and he has to go to Atlantic City to blow off some steam. I understand worrying about that from, like, a health perspective, just like a mental health perspective. Like, this is what you do to blow off steam? 
that's not a great sign. There's other things you could do to blow steam. Um, again, you're we're judging Michael Jordan for advice that he has, uh, but I, I can understand the concern if you're a Bulls fan, right? Like growing up with that team. I, I, yeah, I guess so. I, I mean, I, I don't know that it would be publicized as much today. I, may, maybe be more so. I, I mean, the, the the talk about last week's episode about whether or not uh, you know, Dennis Rodman would be able to take a 48-hour trip or 72-hour trip to Las Vegas. It, probably not because every inch of the way would be documented on Instagram or, or somebody would post something, uh, somebody would tweet something. And, and I guess it would be the same thing. Like, we we found out about Jordan's, you know, uh, trip to Atlantic City the next day, but we would have found out in real time uh, mm-hmm. you know, as it was happening. We would have gotten tweets and, and things of that sort. I don't. I don't know. I, I guess from a fan's perspective, maybe they kind of knew all that. To be honest with you, I don't think. I think it was more of a national conversation than a Chicago Bulls fan conversation. Like they, huh. they knew, they knew he was going to come back anyway, and and in fact he did. So he was able to lead them to a, a pretty convincing victory over the Knicks, despite his trip to Atlantic City at whatever time he actually went at. I, I, wanna, I also go ahead. Well, I want to. If it's another thing on the gambling thing, we could just we can wrap it up because I'm going nope. to I'm going to shift topics. Are yeah, you, okay. Um, the apolitical stuff, the Republicans buy shoes too stuff. Um, I found it very interesting that they allowed that they that Michael Jordan allowed Barack Obama to basically come onto that documentary again in a film that he has to he approves every frame of. Right. He allowed Barack Obama to come out and basically say that he was disappointed in Michael Jordan as a young rising politician in the Chicago area that he had hoped that Michael Jordan um, would come out and, and, and speak up. And and Obama basically said, I was really disappointed in him. And look, there was, at the end, Obama, was, he softened it by saying, you know, I guess that's just not what Michael Jordan wanted to do. And he was obviously very conscious about his business. And he was still, like, we think about Michael Jordan today as the multi-billion dollar brand, right? But he wasn't at that point. He wasn't at that, he was still building that up, right? And so I do wonder I, – I wonder what your thoughts are on that, I guess, is because I, I think I think Barack Obama maybe had the best perspective on that whole Michael Jordan thing that, yes, as as a successful black man in America and as the most, you know, out there celebrity, you know, just in the world, that there's sort of a responsibility that comes with that. But at the same time, he was so focused on his game and, and developing his brand and his business that even back then, I remember talking to, I, I talked to Andy Thompson who filmed this stuff. The only things that Michael Jordan wouldn't let Andy Thompson fill, film was the stuff about Jordan brand. I mean, he was so focused on Jordan brand that maybe like that was just at the forefront of his mind. But I mean, what did, what did you think about what um, Obama had to say about all that? I, well, I mean, I found it interesting um, that because I don't recall this, I, I was not as invested in the off the court stuff at the time as it was happening. So I was not aware of how much criticism was rightly so, I think, uh, directed at Michael for his apolitical stance on things. And it was kind of interesting to see that he did hold influence in that way. Uh, I, I have never personally and I know maybe a lot of our listeners may not care, but I have never felt that our sports heroes should be heroes off the court. Like it's okay to gravitate towards them and love them on the court for their personalities and things of that sort. But I don't know that you should ever look to Michael Jordan or Charles Barkley or anybody as the person that you want to emulate or follow. I mean, but but just, I, I agree with you on that. 
but they are. And that's why I found it so interesting to hear Barack Obama say that, that he like I don't think Barack Obama needs any help from Michael Jordan to especially at that point when he was already in the political sphere to help him make political decisions. But he recognized even still the influence that Michael Jordan had and how much of like a, a political lubricant that his support would have been. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. And, and but I, I think you're right, though, as far as the the singular focus from Jordan was that he he did not. He did not care about making a point. Who I mean, we've always kind of we've been talking about this over the last couple of weeks, like the the version of Jordan and everything else like that. Like, is he a good person? Is he personable? Is he just heartless? I mean, maybe the reality is he just he might not care about these kinds of things. Well, he like, still doesn't, right? He doesn't. Right. He doesn't That's do what I'm saying. Like, now, he, so, yeah. And, and yeah, he, he is. He's just he's self possessed as far as like I what I want to do is build my empire and, and I don't have to have an opinion about what goes on in rural North Carolina or anywhere else because I've moved past that. And, and, and that's why I don't buy it. You know, that's why I don't buy, I, I get the Jordan brand stuff, but it's already like, as far as business ventures goes, Michael Jordan's set, right? Like he doesn't have to worry about this stuff anymore. And so this excuse of I'm focused on my game and I'm focused on Jordan brand. Well, he's, re- he's been retired for years. He's, his brand is established and runs itself now, and he's still not speaking up politically. So this idea, like what Barack Obama says at the end there, I don't, I just don't, and what Michael Jordan, how Michael Jordan defends it. So Barack Obama's defense of Michael Jordan was that he was focused on building his brand and his business, right? Michael Jordan's defense of himself when we're covering the political things was that I was so singularly focused on my game. and I never really wanted to be a role model in the first place because I just wanted to focus on my game. Now you have no game to focus on. Your brand is, runs itself. So what's your excuse now? Because you're still Michael Jordan and you still got the entire sports world looking at you during this documentary and this time. And you're still one of the biggest celebrities on earth. So what's your excuse now? I think he just doesn't care. I mean, I, I think that he's just giving this excuse to kind of soften the overall interpretation of it. But the reality is that there are just people who may not really have that much of an opinion in the political sphere. And, and I, I think Jordan is just one of them. Like, I mean, he's continuing to build his brand. It's not just that he's he's stopped, even though he's a billionaire at this point. He wants to continue to become even richer. That's that's a lot of what rich people do in general. It's not like they have a, a finite point where they go, you know what, I've got three billion. I'm kind sure. of set. Three billion turns to four and five, et cetera. And I think that's where Michael still is. So I don't think he wants to... I think the reality is that he is probably laid in bed with so many different people from so many different political schemes and spheres that it's just difficult for him to kind of separate. And so that's why he's... That's why he's as open as he is. It's like the reality is he just doesn't care. And then he has to continue to be friendly with everybody in order to continue to build his money and his empire and everything else. I mean, he is, he's look, I mean, he is a, a very, not just because of his on the court stuff, the fact that he's a, an owner of an NBA team, like he is the model that so many players live up to. Now, when they say I'd like to get into the front office or I'd like to be an owner, he has the vision for it. Like we've kind of talked about this with LeBron in the past that were, you know, where he kind of recognized the importance of, of signing with Nike early on. He, he did that because he wanted to follow Michael Jordan's footsteps and it paid off for LeBron. But for Michael, I mean, he is the template that a lot of these players want to live up to. And, and unfortunately he's had to uh, break a lot of ideological eggs in order to make the, I'll get to eat every day. Did you feel bad for Charles Barkley after watching this episode? Oh, um, no. Uh, but from other things I've read, I, I feel like the whole friendship was kind of like 
I feel what I've heard anyway is that, that Jordan has been kind of stringing Charles along for years, like faking a friendship just because it kind of suits his purpose. One of the things that I remember reading a long time ago about Bill Russell and Will Chamberlain is that Russell used to invite Will, Wilt, sorry, to his house like before games and before big games in the finals, you know, when the Celtics would meet up with the Philadelphia Warriors and things of this sort, he would invite Will to the house and have dinner. And he said, oh, no, you go ahead and have the, the guest bedrooms lay out. Don't worry about it. They'd have drinks, talk all night. And then the next day they'd have this game and Russell will just eviscerate Will Chamberlain. And he had like this psychological advantage. And I feel like that's what we've seen play out as far as Jordan's friendship or quote unquote friendship with Charles Barkley is that he's always been like, no, Charles, you're like a little brother to me. You know, I, let's go hang out. Let's, you know, you're a great player too. But th th at the same time, he's just, you know, he's patting him on the back so he could see where the weak spot is to plant a knife. And, and that's, that's who Jordan is, you know. Uh, and uh, I, I was wa I'm I'm watching the those highlights of the finals and and look, I had, I didn't grow up watching like uh, yeah, sure. prime Charles Barkley. I don't really remember him. Uh, it is it was it's but I always love watching Charles Barkley highlights because obviously like you just when you think Charles Barkley, I think anybody thinks Charles Barkley now. They think of the media person because as accomplished as he was as a player, as an MVP and a 13-time All-Star, whatever it was. Uh, he's a more accomplished broadcaster. I don't think that's arguable. But Ooh, no, uh, I I think that's that's very he's, arguable. He's won things as a broadcaster. I mean, <laughs> that's funny. He's, he's also won league MVP as a player. Oh, fair enough. Oh, no, but like, I, but I, I say that as a compliment. Like, as much as he's accomplished as a player, he is maybe the he's one of the most successful like sports broadcasters we've ever had. Like, I I I mean, I personally don't think it's arguable. I mean, he has <laughs> won so many Emmys, and he is such a huge face for what it is that people love about, um, you know, studio analysts and, and what a good um, broadcast okay. is. I, I can see like, your point. I think it's also because, as you just pointed out, though, that you did not watch him play. So for me, he's always he's always the player first who eventually became the, this loud voice in the broadcast booth. Uh, you know, and, and the thing was that he was, like, you saw him walking to, next to Jordan. He's shorter than Jordan, and yet he was just as accomplished a rebounder as Dennis Rodman and other players. Like, he was towering over centers. Like, all, we think of the round mound of rebound, and that's his nickname coming out of Auburn. And at the same time, he's it's an incredible uber athlete, like, where he was skying over these guys and, and, and being able to pull down rebounds against taller big men of the time. And he was just a phenomenal individual player. Like, he really was. Um, so who's, I don't know who's been your favorite player to kind of see these highlights of and kind of go back with a little bit uh, throughout oh. the whole th this whole series so far. Scotty, I feel like that's just the, the okay. player that I kind of gravitated most while I was watching these things at the time and kind of recognizing and, and enjoying how everybody else is kind of saying a lot of the same things. Like he was a point forward. Like he was so graceful on the court in a way that. Michael was not necessarily. I've always enjoyed watching Scotty highlights. Although, I mean, Charles Barkley has been great to watch too. Like him and with the Dream Team scenario and in the '93 Finals, that was just—he was a very, very good player. Um, you know, not great defensively, but uh, okay defensively, and uh, a hell of a rebounder, as I said. All right, let's wrap up the show. We're gonna play One's Got to Go next. This is Locked On NBA. One of the internet games that's become a popular pastime is One's Gotta Go. So we're going to play our own version here. David, let's start with you. Well, I, you know, one of the, the topics of the show was obviously how Isaiah Thomas was frozen out of the Dream Team. And uh, Jordan kind of, 
he shrugged it off a little bit, didn't say he was necessarily responsible for it. I don't buy that either. I feel like he was the ultimate voice in the room as far as who was on the team and who wasn't. Although, to his credit, he did also talk about that you know, several players on the Dream Team would have had issues with Isaiah Thomas because Isaiah had been a notorious jerk for most of his career. Um, and, and I feel like that probably would have ruined the camaraderie of that Dream Team. But let's erase all that. Let's assume that Isaiah Thomas would, in fact, have been added to the Dream Team. Which player then has to go? Magic Johnson, John Stockton, or Charles Barkley? Because Barkley was right in his prime. Stockton he was the best was, player. I was he was the best player on that uh, dream team. Like a lot of people kind of forget that he was as dominant as anyway. Like Jordan and Scotty got a lot of the highlights for how they manhandled Tony Kukoc, which we didn't even talk about. But you know, and Magic was second, I think, on a global level as far as the you know appeal and and everything else like that. Like and he was. This was after his HIV diagnosis. He he had already retired from the league. But he was still healthy. He hadn't shown any kind of signs of anything, and he hadn't developed, uh, you know, the AIDS virus. And so he was HIV positive. And then a lot of the things they don't talk about in this documentary was how Carl Malone didn't even want to play next to Magic because he was worried about contracting the HIV virus as a result of any kind of physical contact with Magic jo uh, Magic Johnson. And so that was that was interesting to see that kind of swept under the rug there. But I but mean, they I'm also sure they, they they credit they credit Magic too for being the leader that that team needed because you had so many oh, yeah. egos at play and so yeah. him and Larry Bird you know obviously in the twilight of their career at that point but um, like willingly taking back seats sort of set the tone for everybody so I don't I don't think that that team needed John Stockton he's a little bit he's a little he's not at his peak at that point either right he's a few years away from like peak Utah Jazz years. Um, no, he was a pretty deadly pick and roll combination was, with Carl Malone. At, even at that point, had he reached yeah. his his height yeah. at that point? Though, yeah. All right, I, I, I still think don't think they need him. No, you're right, <laughs> like and that's a, the whole thing. Yeah. Is I mean, I, I kind of included him in there as a, another de facto point guard. Although the reality is that everyone on that team, with the exception of maybe David Robinson and Patrick Ewing, handled the ball really well. Um, but yeah, it was. Uh, Stockton was a great player in his own right, and he was kind of brought in there as that incredible partnership with Carl Malone, but he was able to hold his own against other guys, and he was a, a fierce defender and everything else. So uh, it's just interesting. I don't I don't recall much of Isaiah's greatness personally because, again, by the time I started watching basketball, Detroit basketball was kind of on its tail end, and so I didn't really watch a lot of Thomas highlights, but he was as good a player in the 80s. Like, I mean, even Jordan himself says it in the documentary that he was second to Magic as far as all-time point guards. I mean, that might be somewhat hyperbolic, but, um, you know, he, he was definitely a great player, so. All right, one's got to go. Spider-Man, Wolverine, Batman, Black Panther. You need one of these guys to save the world. Or you need, you're you you're gonna take three of the four to save the planet. One's oh, gotta go. God, no, no, no. This is really this is you're you're putting me so much on the spot here because there are so many arguments here. <laughs> wow, I, I could could spend I could spend several full hour long podcasts breaking down this <laughs> argument here, but I know our listeners don't want to hear all that. Probably um, not. No, I can say definitely not. Uh, look, Spider-Man is uniquely the most powerful of all four. Uh, Batman does not have any powers himself. Uh, he is very smart, however. But you also have that intelligence duplicated in uh, the Black Panther, who has uh, an impressive array of weaponry on his own, 
And then as far as Wolverine is concerned, you know, maybe you just need somebody to do the dirty work, and he's certainly respond. He's certainly capable of that. Wolverine I mean, I, is the he is like the Udonis Haslam of superheroes now. Uh, yes, uh, maybe even more in, in context of what we're talking about, the Rick Mahorn of, of superheroes. Okay. If you need somebody to throw an elbow, he will definitely throw an adamantium laced elbow your way. So uh, uh, he is he is the guy to, to to do all the dirty work. So yeah, he needs to stay. Spider Man is very powerful in his own way. So you're basically arguing between Batman and and. The Black Panther, and and for the sake of being consistent, you know, Marvel Universe has got to go with Black Panther, so Batman's got to go. I agree. Batman kind of sucks. <laughs> no, he does not. I never. I, never I don't understand Batman. this whole he thing. Yeah, okay. I mean, he has no powers. You said it. He's got no powers. All right. You're rich. Cool. Congrats. Wow. This is this is just uh, you know being against rich people. I get it. I mean, hero of the one percenters. You know who. You know who would vote for Batman? Michael Jordan. He might come out and say something nice about Batman, but no other... Why does uh, Tony Stark and Iron Man get a pass? Like, all of a sudden, the MCU has changed the, the, everybody's perspective about Iron Man and things like well, this. I, like, I, Robert Downey Jr. plays him, so everybody thinks he's charming. Also, his suit is way cooler than Batman's. That's fair. I mean, that's that's a good argument. Also, all Black... Right. Okay. Last one. Okay, so uh, being that we're recording this on May the 4th, I'm using the internet pun of May the Force be with you and, and kind of asking you a Star Wars question. I don't even know that we've ever spoken about Star Wars in our mm -hmm. years of, of recording together, but one's got to go Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, or Chewbacca. <sighs> Are you a Star Wars fan? I am a fan of the movies. I haven't done any of the deep dive research or book reading, or uh, I can't say that I've seen every movie even five times. Oh. But I've seen every movie, except actually for the newest one, now that I think about it, because um, okay. I was in the middle of the season when the newest one came out, and I didn't have a chance nice. to. So I should watch that and add that to the list. Um, Are you a Disney Plus subscriber? <laughs> I don't think I am. I think my parents have a subscription, so I could probably watch it there, right? Oh, wow. Now you just incriminated yourself. You're basically stealing an account from poor Disney, that multi-billion dollar global organization. They are struggling right now. Yeah, they uh, are. Yeah, they've, they've <laughs> shut down these theme parks. No, no, uh, they can't run ESPN the way they used to. Poor guys. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say Luke Skywalker Ooh. can go. Wow. I, I know he's integral to the entire storyline. I am annoyed by him, <laughs> and I am not annoyed by Han Solo or Chewbacca. Uh, Han Solo is also integral to the storyline, as we find out more and more as the movies go on. And um, Chewbacca's awesome. Like, you can't let Chewbacca go. Like, what are you, heartless if you do that? So uh, Luke Skywalker is clearly the most annoying one. I'm annoyed with him in the new movies, too. He's annoying. Am I, is that a unique take? I don't know. I just... He is an annoying person, and I don't like him, and so he can go. I, I don't know that it's an, a, a unique take. I, I feel like some people probably have that opinion somewhere. I, I, I like that after the eighth movie and the the whole the newest trilogy came out, the second part of the newest trilogy, everybody was like, "Oh, you know, you you did a disservice to the Skywalker legend and things of this sort." Like, I mean, those are of course the the more hardcore fans, and I don't. I mean, I feel like Mark Hamill's career is pretty much tied completely to these movies and i don't think that anybody ever took him that seriously in the early 80s yeah, outside he's of the star wars the worst, he's clearly the worst actor and like it, it the less accomplished like for sure yeah 
he's well, also he's like actor. five foot. Well, I guess so. I guess he's not a particularly great actor. I mean, he's fantastic. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Speaking of Batman, he was a fantastic Joker on Batman the Animated Series. And that, maybe if you don't like the Batman, maybe it's because you've never watched those cartoons because those are very, very good shows. I know I'm not supposed to redirect these. It's like the Who's Gotta Go is directed to one person, but I'm interested who you would pick of those three Star Wars characters. Uh, of One's Gotta Go? Oof. I, I would have to pick Chewbacca. Just because he's like the least important from like yeah. a story. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He really is. He, does, he doesn't move the story anyway. I mean, I, I love that the idea of Chewbacca and everything else, and I know he's, he's a character that's important in the whole universe as far as the Star Wars universe is concerned, but yeah, he does not move the story along, unfortunately. Uh, part of the reason I picked Luke is just because I wanted to have fun and just be a little controversial to end this podcast, oh, but uh, we are ending it. Remember to listen to and subscribe to Locked On NBA on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you have some time, rate us, review us, say nice things about us. When you get done here, you can tell your smart, to play, smart device to play the latest episode of any Locked On Podcast Network show, including Chad Ford's Big Board, Thanks for listening, and please stay safe.